said before that opposites attract, and I think that's no more truer for my wife and I than when we uh, order our steaks at a restaurant. Uh, you know, I, I criticize the way she gets hers. She criticizes the way I get mine. If we had to describe them in one word, I would say hers is burnt, and she would say mine is bloody. And so, uh, to me, the words well done should never be uttered regarding a steak until after you eat it and never before you order it. Well done after the fact and not before. But today's passage, a crowd says to Jesus, well done. And not only well done, Jesus does all things well. And so we see once again his healing ministry foreshadows for us his work on the cross. And if his healing ministry is well done, then we know that his work for us on the cross is well done as well. I think the result of looking at our passage today is this. We should praise Jesus for perfectly doing everything necessary to save your soul. Whatever the requirements were that the Father had in place, Jesus perfectly met those requirements and praise Him for doing all things well regarding our soul's salvation. I want to ask you to stand with me if you're able to this morning in reverence for the reading of God's Word. I'll be reading from Mark chapter 7 starting at verse 31. These words were written by Mark under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit. It says, Again he went out from the region of Tyre and came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty and they implored him to lay his hands on him. Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself, put his fingers into his ears, and after spitting, he touched his tongue with the saliva. And looking up to heaven with a deep sigh, he said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, and the impediment of his tongue was removed, and he began speaking plainly. And he gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more he ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. They were utterly astonished, saying, He has done all things well. He makes even the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Let's pray together. Lord, we come before you with joy in our hearts today, God, thanking you for this opportunity to gather. Father, praising you for your presence that is here. We have felt you moving today already. And Lord, we come with expectation now, this time where your word is open, God, and we do so with the conviction that, God, you have spoken and you continue to speak through this word. This is your authoritative word. This is your inerrant, infallible word. Father, your word is true and is trustworthy. And Father, we base the salvation of our souls upon the word that we find contained herein. That Jesus, the Messiah, the Chosen One, has done everything perfectly. And because of His work, we have hope. We have forgiveness. We have a relationship with You. Father, I pray You would continue speaking to us this morning. Father, this message that I present, God, I pray that You would speak through me. Father, bring glory to Your name. And do this by the power of of your grace. We pray this in Jesus' blessed name. Amen. Thank you. you. may be seated. 
Many times in the Gospels we will find things that are parallel with what other Gospel writers have written. For example, at this point in time in Matthew's Gospel, in chapter 15, we, we see that Matthew writes about Jesus performing some healing ministries at this time in, in his life. But it's in Mark that we see this specific episode detailed only. And we wonder why is it that Mark spends some time on this specific episode. And it could be because of the eyewitness account of Peter. that We believe that Mark got his information from Peter who was there at the time. And perhaps this healing had a, had a deep impact on Peter's soul. Maybe that Peter saw something in there that uh, spoke to him and to his story. I believe as we read this story about this man with this impediment that, that we can see our story in his life as well. You might ask, how do we do that? First of all, we see the man's condition. Can you see yourself in his situation? The man's condition. Verse 31, we see first of all, Jesus had a heavenly redirection. It says that he went out from the region of Tyre where he was at earlier and he came through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee within the region of Decapolis. Jesus takes the long route here. Some have speculated that it would have taken him months to travel this pathway. And we say, why did Jesus go so far out of his way? Well, we find Jesus returns once again to this region of Decapolis. This isn't the first time he's been there. Do you remember the last time he was there in chapter 5? There was a man possessed with a legion of demons. Remember, Jesus cast the, the demons out of that man and the people from the surrounding areas, they came and they told Jesus to leave. We don't want you here. They were afraid of Jesus. And Jesus left that area, but apparently there was some unfinished business. A redirection and God brings him back to this area and I believe it was because there was a divine appointment God the Father had in store for Jesus and this man with this condition a heavenly redirection and we can praise God that, that Jesus went so far out of his way to come to us he left the glory of heaven left it all aside and he came and dwelt among us and lived on this earth a sinless life in our place so that he could die on the cross in our place. And because of this redirection, we can find hope in our condition. What was this man's condition? In verse 32, we see he had a helpless reality. A helpless reality. It says they brought to him, they brought to Jesus, one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty. This man had a physical handicap. He had an impediment. In that culture, it was viewed as someone who was cursed viewed as someone who was somehow less than everybody else. This man was dependent on others to live and survive. And they brought this man to Jesus. In the context we read in the story, it doesn't appear that he was born this way because he could speak, but through the loss of his hearing, his speech became affected. So it could be that this was the result of an accident perhaps a disease that impacted him later in life. We can only speculate. But here is this man with this helpless reality. 
a man who was deaf and he could not hear. And interestingly enough, Jesus had talked about in, in chapter 4 the importance of hearing. He who has ears, let him hear. And so there was something that Jesus wanted his audience to understand. And here was a man who could not hear physically. And could it be that this healing of this man physically was a symbol for what Jesus could do for us spiritually, opening our ears to understand the truth, to hear the gospel message? This man's helpless reality led to a humble request in verse 32. It says, They brought to him one who was deaf and spoke with difficulty, and they implored him to lay his hands on him. doesn't specify why they wanted them, why they wanted Jesus to lay his hands on this man. It could be they were anticipating Jesus could heal this guy, or maybe they just wanted Jesus to, to bless this man who had been suffering. Perhaps their reaction later on when he really is healed reveals that they perhaps weren't expecting so much of Jesus laying his hands on this man. But it says they implored Jesus. We've seen that verb several times already in Mark's Gospel. It means that someone who has humbled themselves and realize that there is a, a problem, there is a condition that they have that they cannot fix on their own, and they need Jesus to do something for them. They are helpless. They humble themselves by saying, there is no other way, Jesus, if you will not heal me, I cannot be healed. And here is this man in this helpless condition. Thankfully enough for him, he either had family or friends that cared for him. Because it says they, they brought to him this man in this condition. This man wasn't left to fend for himself. They cared enough about him to bring him to Jesus. And not only that, this man couldn't even speak and communicate his need to Jesus. And so they implored, they prayed to Jesus for this man in his condition. It says something to us as Christians, doesn't it? To recognize that, that we were helped by Christ and when we see others who are separated from God, we see others who have not been saved, we see others who are sick with sin and we bring them to Jesus. We care enough about them not to leave them in that helpless state, but we implore the Lord, we pray, and we humble ourselves, and we say, Jesus, please, heal this person's soul. If we care enough about the lost, we will act just like these people did with this man in his condition. This man's situation also mirrors your situation. That if you don't come to Jesus, and if you don't humble yourself, and you don't ask the Lord to save your soul, you're lost. There's no hope for you in this life and in the life to come. You will stand before the judgment seat of God, and you will be condemned for your sins. But if you were like this man, humble enough to recognize I can't save myself, 
I can't be religious enough. I can't be good enough. I can't be saved based upon what somebody else has done. I personally need Christ. I need to be forgiven. And Jesus is the only Savior who could change my situation. Yes, this man's condition indeed mirrors each and every one of our condition. Apart from Christ, we need to humble ourselves and seek His help. Luckily for this man, and by the grace of God for us, we see the Messiah's compassion in the next few verses. We see that the Mighty One is also the Merciful One. The One who is able is also the One who is willing. We see the Messiah's compassion, first of all, in His personal connection with this man. In verse 33, it says, Jesus took him aside from the crowd by himself. Jesus didn't want to make a, a spectacle out of this situation. He knew this man had suffered already so much in life, socially. The last thing he wanted to do was make this, this man the, the, the object and the center of all that was going on. He instead took him apart separately. He cared for this individual. It wasn't just about, well, let me show what I can do. He cared for this man. And he took this man aside one-on-one. -on -one. It's important for us to understand Jesus cares for us in that same regard. He cares for you enough to take you apart from the crowds, to be alone with you, to connect with you. And here Jesus does a few things that specific actions I believe that are meant to, to heighten this man's faith in Jesus. Remember this guy was deaf. He could not hear. He did not really fully, I believe, understand all that was going on in this situation. And so what does Jesus do? Well, look at this. Verse 33, he took him aside from the crowd and then he put his fingers in his, this man's ears. And we say, why did he put his fingers in this man's ears? I believe he was communicating to him, you cannot hear, but I'm going to open your ears. And this says he, he spits and he puts some saliva on the man's tongue, and we, and we say, that's just gross. Why, why would he do that? I believe he was communicating to that man that the ability that I have to speak I'm going to bestow to you. Your tongue, is, your tongue is bound. And I am going to give you the perfect speech. I am going to transfer my speech to you. So he touches the man's tongue with this saliva. And I believe all the while Jesus, in, in a very perhaps ancient way was communicating in sign language with this fella. Took him aside to, to get him oriented and saying, okay, I want you to pay attention to me. I'm going to open your ears. And I'm going to loosen your tongue. Jesus making a personal connection with this man. Verse 34, we see his prayerful communion. It says, and, and looking up to heaven. Looking up to heaven. I believe this was an act of prayer. This is not the first time we've seen Jesus do this 
in Mark's gospel. Remember the feeding of the 5,000. When he took the loaves and he took the fish and looking up to heaven, I think is a sign to communicate to, to those in that crowd that day, but I think to communicate to this man specifically in this moment that what is about to happen is going to come from above. You are about to have your ears open and your tongue loosened, and I want you to understand the source of this. It's through the Lord. It's through God. Heaven above is going to have mercy on you. In prayerful communion with His Father, Jesus looks to the heavens. And it says He takes a, a deep sigh. I believe in doing this, He was communicating His compassion for this man. He was hurting for this man. And I think He was also communicating to this guy, although this man could not hear, I believe that He could see the deep sigh of the Lord and Jesus in that one sigh I believe was saying I feel your pain you are hurting you are bothered and it hurts me that you are bothered Jesus takes a deep sigh looking to heaven and then he utters these word, this word Ephatha which is Hebrew Mark translates for us which also lets us know Mark wasn't writing to Hebrews because obviously they would have known what that word meant. He's writing to the Gentiles. He's writing to those who were not Jewish. And he says, Ephatha, which means be opened, be loosed. In his prayer, Jesus prayed that what was binding this man, what was impeding this man, what was hurting this man, what was his deepest need at that moment was about to be broken because of one word from the Messiah. When Jesus says, be loosed, in the physical sense, it happens. When Jesus says to you, be loosed spiritually, it happens. His prayerful communion. Verse 35, we see his powerful correction. It says, His ears were opened. The impediment of his tongue was removed. He began speaking plainly. What, has, what had been broken, what had been cursed, had been repaired, had been lifted. The man's need, and he had humbled himself before the Lord and the man whom Jesus had touched personally, the man whom Jesus had compassion on, Jesus uttered one word and it was all taken away. It's powerful correction. You know, kids break things, don't they? <laughs> I know that's no uh, deep uh, revelation to all of you, but kids break things and we were in uh, Michigan at my mother-in-law's this week, and for whatever reason, Jaden was getting into the refrigerator, doing whatever Jaden does at two at two years old, and getting in the refrigerator. And all of a sudden, we heard this this thud and this crash, and then we hear Jaden freaking out, you know. And 
lo and behold, I guess what he was trying to do was trying to climb up the racks on the door, you know, or on the side. And he had broken the bottom rack, uh, and there was uh, uh, salad dressing bottles and whatnot laying all over the floor. And so I'm upset, and 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 I'm hollering at him, and and uh, Nancy's upset, and Granny comes in. She's like, "Stop! Stop! Stop!" It's just plastic. It's all right. It's all right. And we're like, you know, he's, you know, he needs to learn. He can't do these things. And she's like, it's okay. It's okay. And so she's calming him down, and she's calming us down. And, and uh, it was interesting because I was actually working on my sermon at that point, and it was just like, you know, a, a visual illustration for us where the way you handle something, when some, the way you handle the situation when something is broken speaks volumes and what was needed in that situation was compassion I wasn't really demonstrating the compassion <laughs> granny was leave it to granny but you know here we are we're broken and here we are we make a huge mess of our lives I tell you what every day it seems like I'm knocking over the salad dressing or I'm doing something I'm making some mess I'm I'm breaking the end of my finger or whatever I'm doing. I'm, I'm making a huge mess in my life in so many ways. But I'm so glad that my Master and my Lord is compassionate. He cares enough for me and says, I know you've messed up. Just come to me. Lay your burden on me. And Jesus sighs deeply. He looks to heaven and says, the source of your healing from above and he utters one word forgiven it is finished it is all removed Jesus has the ability and the willingness to heal your soul Messiah's compassion on display in this man's life speaks volumes to us as well finally in verse 36 and 37 we see the multitude's confession this crowd, this multitude, they recognized the greatness of Jesus. They were, they were overwhelmed by what had taken place, and they were deeply moved by that, and that led them to make a confession about Jesus that was true and very relevant. It begins, first of all, with a recurring prohibition in verse 36. It says, He gave them orders not to tell anyone. This isn't the first time we've seen this in Mark's gospel either. We call this the messianic secret. For whatever reason, Jesus did not want those whom had been healed to go about widely and openly proclaiming the Messiah has come. And you know why? Because the Messiah had not yet completed the work that the Father had for him. The Messiah was coming not only to heal and not only to teach and not only to do good things, the Messiah had come to die on the cross to give His life as a ransom for the, for the salvation of many. The cross had not happened yet. The tomb was not empty yet. Therefore, Jesus said, Not yet. Not yet. Let's keep this low-key. Remember what I've done for you. And then when I finally finish the completed work, 
you will know that what I've done for you physically was just a microchasm of what I was going to do for your soul spiritually on the cross. A recurring prohibition. However, we see a rebelling proclamation after that in verse 36. It says, He gave them orders not to tell anyone, but the more He ordered them, the more widely they continued to proclaim it. What's interesting for me is this. Here Jesus tells these people, don't tell anyone I'm the Messiah. And they go out and they tell everybody. Jesus tells us, go and tell everybody. We don't tell no one. Why is that? He was telling them, be quiet, the cross and the tomb has not been vacated yet. But now we live on this side of the cross and this side of the empty tomb and He says, go into all the world, make disciples, preach the gospel. And we won't so much as open our mouth and tell one person who Jesus is and what He's done for us. Shame on us. This crowd was rebelling in their proclamation and we're rebelling in our lack of proclamation. Maybe Jesus could have practiced reverse psychology. Maybe He could have told us, don't tell no one. And maybe we went out and told everybody. But it's not the point. He wants the world to know. He wants the world to know the condition of man apart from Him. He wants the world to know the compassion that He has to heal their soul. Verse 37, we see a rejoicing profession. It says, They were utterly astonished. And that's why I believe that they really did not anticipate or expect what happened to this man to truly take place. They were astonished. They were amazed. They were freaked out. And out of this excitement and this astonishment, they proclaimed, He has done all things well. He makes the deaf to hear and the mute to speak. Earlier in the service, I read for you Isaiah 35, a prophecy about the work of the Messiah, the chosen one who would one day come for God's people. And it said the Messiah would heal the deaf and that the mute would shout the glories, the praise of God. And hear the crowd saying, He has done all things well. He has done, he has done what God said the Messiah would do. They are proclaiming, they are professing Jesus. They are, they are praising His willingness to heal and His ability to make it happen. His compassion and His power. One word changed this man's life. One word will change your eternal destiny. Believe in Him. Trust in Him. All through Mark's Gospel, remember the very first verse I said to understand all of Mark, what he is talking about, the very first verse, the beginning of the gospel of Jesus Christ, the Son of God. Mark tells us right off the bat, this is who Jesus is. And all through the first eight chapters, the disciples and the crowds 
are slowly coming around. They are beginning to finally figure it out. They are learning. Remember the disciples after Jesus calmed the sea, they said, who is this? Even the wind and the waves obey him. We come to the end of chapter 7 and the crowd saying, he's done all things well. The deaf they hear, the mute they, they speak, Jesus is the Christ. Jesus is the anointed one of God. Jesus is the deliverer that we've been longing for our whole lives. Mark is moving us and his audience into that direction of really understanding this man Jesus and his identity. He has done all things well. This week they put in the newspaper the principles list. And I was proud to see both of my kids that are in school right now made the principles list. And there was their names right there. You know, Logan Rader, Kylie Rader. Just so, so proud of that. And, and just it makes me happy to, to know that, that, that my kids are, are trying hard and, and I see them every night at the dinner table and they're working on their homework and, and they're reading and, and they're, they're wanting to learn. And, I'm, and it, is, it, it makes me proud. But you know, even in that, there's always room for improvement. There's always room to learn a little bit more, to do a little bit better, to not miss one problem but, but get it all right there, there's always room to improve and that can be said for all of us and it doesn't matter what our occupation is there's always room to improve but you know what we can't say that about Jesus the crowds they understood it he's done all things well not just some of it not just parts of it, not just this over here. He's done all things well. And sometimes we, we look at Jesus and we say, yeah, he died on the cross and he took care of that, but I'm kind of left over here hanging with this situation in my life. No, Jesus cares for everything going on in all of your life. He does all things well. He is exactly who you need him to be. All things well. We see this man's condition. He was broken. He was helpless. He was in need. We see the Messiah's compassion. He was willing and he was able. We see the multitude's confession. They recognize the greatness of Jesus and they praise him for who he is. Jesus is God's perfect provision. Everything that you need Jesus to be, He is. I didn't say He's everything you want Him to be. He's everything you need Him to be. It's a difference between wants and needs. But everything the Father knows you need, He's given it to you in Jesus Christ. Well done. Your hopes of ever hearing the Father say to you, Well done, my good and faithful servants. Your well done is completely tied up in the fact that Jesus 
accomplished everything. And that Jesus has heard, well done. And because it's well done in Christ, if you are in Christ, you will hear those words, well done. So I ask you this morning, are you in Christ? He has done all things well. You cannot and you will not ever do everything you need to fulfill the law of God. But Jesus has done it for you. He's done all things well. question I have for you, have you trusted in the accomplished work of Christ on your behalf? He alone is the way, the truth, and the life. No one will come to the Father unless they come through the one who has done all things well. And that is Jesus. Let us pray. Father, we praise you for your love and your mercy, for your grace, that you have sent Jesus to be the propitiation for our sins. He was the one who absorbed the wrath that was rightfully due to us. He is the one who has given us his righteousness and his perfection. We come to you this morning with no other recourse, God. We call upon the name of the Lord to be saved because there is no other way. Lord, my prayer is each and every person within the sound of my voice, if they have not already done so, they would make that commitment right now to accept Jesus Christ as their personal Lord and Savior. The one who has done everything required of the Father on their behalf, that they would accept His work, surrender to His Lordship. Father, we, along with that multitude so long ago, we stand here today in astonishment and amazement and proclaim He has done all things well. Father, forgive us. Forgive us for losing that sense of astonishment. We get so accustomed to hearing the gospel. We get so comfortable thinking about Jesus that we lose our sense of wonder that He would do what He did for me. Astonishing. God, we praise. We praise You today. Lord, for the believers, I pray that we would recommit ourselves to following Christ, to proclaiming the good news, this message of hope to those who need it. That we would be loving towards those who need to be loved. To those who are outcasts, to those who are hurting, that we would, we would tangibly meet the needs of those who hurt. And Father, we would be ever mindful of sharing the good news because that is what is most important. Father, during this time of commitment, this hymn of decision, whatever you are leading us to do, I pray that we would respond, that we would not rob ourselves of the blessing of knowing that we have done what the Lord has called us to do today. If you want someone to walk this aisle, 
to tell everyone here that they are making commitment to follow Christ and be saved. Maybe you're calling somebody to walk this aisle to join this church fellowship to be baptized. Maybe you're calling someone to walk this aisle as a commitment to the ministry, to the mission field. Maybe you're calling someone to walk this aisle to stand before this church body and say, brothers and sisters, I'm hurting. I need help. I need love. I need compassion. I need prayer. Father, whatever the case may be, this is your time. Our hearts are open before you. Lead us accordingly, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I ask you to stand with me.